What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. you guys and thank you so much as always for tuning in to another episode of J Talks. This week is going to be all about personal stories. This week is going to literally just be an amalgamation of all the stuff from the last couple of weeks that I've wanted to fit into episodes but I just haven't had the time or it hasn't been the subject matter of that week's episode. Like two weeks ago I had that episode that I dedicated entirely to teachers and I wanted to kind of keep that episode like that and then last week we had the self-care episode and obviously I wanted to keep that as mental health driven and as centered around self-care as I could. With that being said though, if you haven't listened to either of those episodes, I definitely recommend you pause this and go back to listen to one of those previous episodes. But yeah, with that being said, this week is just going to be all about personal stories. I'm just going to be telling things that have happened in my life, things that I've wanted to talk about for the last few weeks, but just haven't gotten the chance to because of other things that were going on. As always, they do revolve around our own personal growth. They do revolve around social and political issues, and I'm going to relate them to other stuff that's happening in the world right now. And with that also being said, I just do have a quick trigger warning to give before I get into my content this week. I am going to be talking somewhat in depth about sexual assault, harassment, and violence perpetuated against women. If that is something that is at all traumatic to you, if that is something that is at all triggering to you, I wholeheartedly recommend you skip through the segment that I'm going to be doing this. It is going to be right after this. It's going to be the first segment of this week's episode. So once I'm done editing, I'm actually going to jump back into this and give a little bit of an intermission and tell you guys the time that you can skip to in order to skip through this section and not have to listen to the potentially triggering content that I will be talking about. And that is coming in three, two, one. Hiya, Jalen from the future here. Skip ahead to 30 minutes and 28 seconds into the podcast to skip the triggering content. All right, with that out of the way, I am going to be jumping right into my content. A couple weeks ago, I got catcalled. And in case you need some context filled in, as you could probably infer, I am a young woman, but more specifically, I am a mixed-raced 18-year-old female living in the United States. I identify as straight and cisgender with she, her pronouns. Okay, now getting back on track. Yes, I was catcalled a couple weeks ago. I had spent the entire day doing some errands. I had gotten some stuff done that Day. I had been out and about all day long and towards the end of the day, it was probably around four or five o'clock, I was picking up pizza because I was actually going to spend the rest of the night with my partner and I obviously ordered the food. I got there. I was going in to pick it up and as I was walking in to this pizza place, there was an elderly man walking out and when I say elderly, I mean this man looked like he belonged in a crypt and no, not as the crypt keeper. I mean, it looked like he belonged to one of the boxes. Like he looked like one of the bo- like bodies that belonged in a crypt. Like he looked like he should have been in the ground about three years ago. <laughs> oh, I'm so brutal. Anyways, um, so we were walking by each other and he looks over to me and has the audacity to yell at me. Why do all of the pretty girls have to wear masks? 
And you guys may be a little bit disappointed in my response, but I just put my head down, just walked past him, didn't even acknowledge what he said, didn't even acknowledge his presence, broke my eye contact, and like I said, just kept moving. There was a good amount of people around. I mean, it was a pizza place at like 4.30 on a Friday night. So even though there weren't a bunch of people hanging out in the parking lot, there were a bunch of people inside. The parking lot was filled with cars. I wasn't exactly too, too worried that the situation would escalate to a point where I was potentially in danger. So like I said, I just felt comfortable just moving on, just leaving him back there with no response, not even engaging with him. So obviously the situation was left at that. I moved on with my day. I'm guessing he moved on with his. And as I was going throughout the rest of my day, I had the time to really sit down and digest the content of what this man said to me. Why do all of the pretty girls have to wear masks? Um, I don't know, maybe because we're currently in a global pandemic? Just because I'm pretty doesn't mean that I have a death wish to succumb to a deadly virus. And for a little bit of context, I also want to fill you guys in on what I was wearing. And I'm going to say that, but by no means do I think that a woman's clothing is an invitation for unwarranted sexual misconduct or sexual harassment or assault at the hands of a man. I purely want to give you the context of what I was wearing to show that it can happen to anyone wearing any type of clothing. I have box braids. They were in a bun at the nape of my neck, just disgusting looking. I had absolutely no makeup on, no eye makeup, no facial makeup, nothing. I was wearing Crocs because I am a dedicated Crocs wearer. I was wearing an old bleached pair of Aeropostale joggers that I've had since 2011. And finally, to top off the look, I was wearing a sweatshirt that I had been wearing for the last four days. So I just wanted to, you know, fill that in for people who might potentially want to come on here or try to validate any woman's sexual harassment or sexual assault experience by saying, well, what were you wearing? Were you asking for it? Because I certainly was not personally. I was looking at myself and I saw what I was wearing. I saw how I looked and I didn't think I resembled any level of attractiveness that I usually do on a normal day. Like I said, I was wearing Crocs and old sweatpants and an old sweatshirt, no makeup on. My hair was in a knot at the nape of my neck. I did not think I looked conventionally attractive in that moment. I did not think I looked desirable in that moment. I did not think I would be the epitome of the type of woman that someone would want to harass that day. But apparently, I was wrong. And even though this happened a couple weeks ago, honestly, I'm very thankful that I took the time to wait and talk about other stuff on the podcast because I think I think I really needed to talk about this and also talk about this in regards to the case of Sarah Everard. I'm guessing you have heard of her story. It has garnered international attention. Her name, along with a bunch of other hashtags regarding her story, have been trending worldwide for the last, over the last week at this point, well over a week at this point. Sarah was a young 33-year-old woman who was walking home from her boyfriend's house at around midnight at the beginning of this month and was never seen again, or at least never seen alive again. The search for her body and what happened to her ensued, and as the story has progressed, as more information has come to the surface, it has now been known that she was murdered by a police officer in the area that she was walking home in. And she was the victim of a very obvious misogynistic crime and a crime 
driven out of the fact that she was a vulnerable young woman. I want to bring light to this story. I want to talk about this this week for a lot of reasons. I think that especially now, especially in the pandemic, especially when there's so many other things going on that are grabbing our attention, violence against women seems to be something that we sweep under the rug very, very easily. It seems to be something that we often are too comfortable forgetting about. And I, I can't let that happen, especially with everything that happened with this case. Especially the fact that this is so heartbreaking because she did everything right. She took every necessary precaution. She took every step we tell women they need to take if they want to avoid being harassed or assaulted or murdered. And she still ended up dead. And people, men specifically, are still trying to find loopholes and reasons why women shouldn't do this or that or why women need to have a curfew and why they shouldn't be walking out late at night anyways instead of just taking a look at their boys, instead of just taking a look at their own actions and the things they allow to perpetuate within their communities, within their male-dominated communities, and seeing how this behavior starts with men and it ends with men. And until men are willing to listen, not hear, but listen to women and acknowledge what they're saying and actually allow for it to settle with them, I don't think anything will change. Not in the UK, not anywhere else in the world, because let's face it, we live in a patriarchal world. We live in a patriarchal society. Women are constantly asked and forced to take the shorter end of the stick about every single thing in the world. As societies, we see women as less deserving than men. We see women as people to control and more than anything, we see the things that women deal with as non-important, as non-issues, as things that we shouldn't put effort into rectifying and making better for them, for their sake. And I just I just wanted to talk about that really quickly this week. I don't think I've ever talked about sexual harassment or violence against women in this light or in this way or at all on this podcast. And I hate that it had to take something like this to happen. I hate that it not only had to take me getting catcalled, but also another woman in, across the world losing her life in order for me to have to come on here and talk about this in this way. But it, it's it's been far too long and I, I know that. I should have talked about it way sooner. The most disappointing thing about this case, the most disheartening thing about this case, like I said earlier, was the fact that she did everything right. She had an alarm on her keychain that she could have pressed that would have notified the police where she was or if she was in danger. She wore bright colored clothing. She stayed on the safe, on the quote unquote safe side of town. She was talking to her friends on the phone. She was talking to her boyfriend on the phone. Everything that you can think of that we tell women in our societies to do in order to prevent from them getting raped or assaulted or attacked by men, she did it. And yet she still ended up losing her life at the hands of a man who thought that he had the right to violate her and disrespect her bodily autonomy that she has as a woman. And again, I want to I want to make it very clear that even if she what that even if she didn't do any of that, even if she was drunk, even if she was walking on the wrong side of town, even if she was wearing dark clothing, even if she didn't have anything on her that would have notify anyone that she was in an unsafe situation, even if she hadn't been texting anyone, even if she had been wearing heels or unsafe shoes to run in, which she wasn't, she was wearing sneakers, even if she had done everything quote-unquote wrong, that still wouldn't have justified her ending up dead. That still wouldn't have justified her getting assaulted or attacked at all. 
And I hate that we have these ideas in our world of what someone needs to do in order to deserve respect, in order to deserve to not be assaulted or end up dead or be killed by police or be raped or sexually harassed. I hate that we have this, this notion in our heads and we do it with everything. It's not like we just do it with women. We do it with immigrants. We say, well, if you wanted to be a citizen in this country, you should have crossed the border illegally. We do it with black people when it comes to dealing with police. Well, if you didn't want to be shot, if you didn't want to be killed, you shouldn't have resisted. You shouldn't have run away. You shouldn't have backtalked. And we do it with women. Well, if you didn't want to be raped, if you didn't want to be assaulted, if you didn't want to be followed, if you didn't want to be attacked, if you didn't want to be murdered, you should have worn bright clothing. You shouldn't have been out that late. You shouldn't have been walking alone. We do it with everyone. We find ways to turn situations that should villainize the oppressor and we find ways to villainize the victims. We find ways to villainize the people who just wanted to find ways to survive. And I hate that we do that. I hate it. I hate that we feel so comfortable finding ways to blame victims for the abhorrent things that happen to them. I hate that we can find ways to somehow further dehumanize people after they've already been seen by someone else as subhuman, as less than human. After someone has already been locked in a cage at the border, we still find ways to dehumanize them. After someone had their neck kneeled on for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, we still find a way to dehumanize them. After someone was assaulted and followed and raped and attacked and murdered, we still find a way to dehumanize them. How do we, how do we find ways to justify this? And, I'm, and I mean we, like as a society, because it, it's, not, it's not necessarily a man thing. It's not necessarily a white person thing. It's, not, it's like we all do it to each other. If we're not having it done to ourselves, we find someone else to do it to. I, I don't, I just, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Another really disgusting part of this entire case was that people in the UK were trying to have a vigil for her. They were trying to, which by the way, is the most peaceful form of protest that you could have. A vigil is a very public event in which you mourn someone's death which is literally like a public funeral or a public wake is kind of like the best way I could describe it. It's when you have all of the people of a community, all of the people of an area or of a country or of whatever the event is, even though they may not necessarily know that person, they are still coming to mourn her. And the police in the UK were apparently very, very violent when handling this vigil, when trying to break it up which obviously and completely as expected sparked further outrage across the globe of people being like, you had a girl that was murdered at the hands of an officer. You have people who are now coming out and mourning her and not just mourning her, but every other woman who has been a victim, has been subjected to or has been killed at the hands of male violence in this country all or, and all across the world. At the same time these people are mourning her, they're also inadvertently protesting the police brutality that allowed for something like this to happen against a woman like this. And your response as police officers is to further reinforce that idea that women that police don't care what happens to women, that police officers are inherently violent, and that they don't care about the messages and about the troubles and the pains that women deal with in this country. Are you kidding me? We, we saw it in America this past summer with the violin vigil that they had for Elijah McClain. A violin vigil where they were just playing violins in memoriam of a young man who was murdered by police 
and his one of his favorite activities was to play violin to shelter cats. And you have people who are taking the time out of their day to show someone that they are remembered, that they are cared for, and that the memory of them still lives on even in their death. And your response to that is to just further solidify in people's heads that police officers are inherent, hateful, violent people that we should fear and that we can in no way coexist with in our societies, in modern day society. I just don't get how people can be so tone deaf. And I don't even just mean the police. I mean, like men at times like this, I don't get how you can be so tone deaf to everything that's happening to women. Because I think it's, I think it's so interesting that every woman has a story. Every woman has a story of being catcalled or harassed or groped or grabbed or assaulted dehumanized, belittled, made into a sexual object, was exerted power or force over, every woman seems to have some sort of negative memory, some sort of implicit trauma ingrained in their memory of a time that they experienced abuse or assault or harassment at the hands of a man. And yet, men don't seem to know any abusers. Men don't seem to know anyone who's raped someone or catcalled someone, or sexually assaulted someone, and when they do, oh, it's not that big of a deal. He's not really like that. He just—he was just having fun. It was just a joke. You take things too seriously. You're the problem. If you do not put the effort into making sure that the other men in your circle are held accountable for the things they say, the things they do against women, the actions that they perpetuate that make women feel unsafe in this world, you are the problem. Not sexually assaulting women, not raping women, not going out of your way to make women feel uncomfortable in the spaces that they exist in, that does not make you a good man. That does not make you a nice guy. That does not make you worthy of praise or adoration or even getting pussy. That makes you an average person. That makes you a normal human being. If you don't go out of your way to rape women or molest women or grab women or grope women, you think that makes you some exceptional human being? No! How low is the bar of our society that we somehow think that a man who has not gone out of his way to brutally violate a woman's bodily autonomy is somehow like the epitome of a good guy? That makes you a normal human being. That makes you an average person if you don't rape or assault anyone. That doesn't make you good. That makes you normal. What makes you good is when you see stuff like this happening and you hear stories of women in your life, you hear stories from your mom and your sister and the girls that you go to school with and the friends that you have. When you go on social media and you log into Twitter or Instagram and you see women that you follow and you hear the stories that they have to say or you just see women in general sharing their stories. What makes you a good man is when you not only see that stuff happening and you are disgusted by it and you say, I need to do something to help make women feel more safe in this country. But when you actually go out and do exactly that and you use your male privilege, you use your position as a man in society to prevent other men like you from making women feel unsafe. I promise you, every single man listening to this, every single man, no matter if you're 16 or 60, I bet if you took the time to sit back and you listened to the conversations you have with your friends, you listened 
to the things that men say when there's no women around and you paid attention to what jokes are made, to what comments are made, to what vernacular is used, I bet you anything there would be at least one man in your circles, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's a teammate, whether it's a coworker, I bet you could think of at least one man in your circles that elicits behavior that's a red flag, that is indicative of someone who might go out and use his position as a man in society to exert force over women and utilize that force to control or assault or hurt or violate women. Because all the information is there. All the signs are there. It's just that men, the people who sit in these circles, they either, one, are blind to it, two, they, they know what's happening and they don't care, or three, they don't know what to do. And so I kind of want to address all of those because I know I've been talking about this for a while, but I just want to address all of those very quickly before before moving on to my next segment of this week's episode because I promise I not I don't want to talk about this forever. So one, the men who are blind to it, the men who think that stuff like this happening isn't really a problem and it doesn't affect them because the men in their circle would never do something like this. I urge you to talk to the women around you and not just, you know, your girlfriend or your sister or the women that you are attracted to. No, branch out and talk to every woman, the woman who you're not attracted to, the women who you don't love, the women who you don't have to see on a daily basis every single day. Obviously, you know, don't come up to strangers in the street and start asking them if they've been sexually harassed today because, you know, that's kind of creepy and you'll be overstepping a couple of boundaries there. But if you're at school or if you're having a casual conversation with another girl and, you know, you, you think that she would feel comfortable answering that question or you feel comfortable crossing that line, ask her and say, hey, um, what, what do you think is the signs of someone or a man that would make it seem like he's someone who might assault or abuse women? Or what's a time that you've been abused or assaulted? Or what's something that seems like a red flag to you in terms of things that make a man seem unsafe? That's a good one to ask of what, what signs do women pick up on that make a man seem unsafe to them? And I think once you start having those questions answered for you and you start to see that it truly is a problem, it will be much easier for you and you will be much more adept to see this behavior within your own circles, to see this behavior being demonstrated within your own circles, within your own teams or your friend groups or your family. So that's the first one. The second one is seeing this stuff happening and not caring. Um, first of all, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Okay, I kind of did. But if you are seeing stuff like this happening, if you have a friend that's making rape jokes, if you have a friend that's making jokes about sexually assaulting or mutilating or violating women, if you have a friend that constantly is just joking about getting pussy or sex or having sex with girls who's dr who are drunk, if you have a friend who you know is regularly having sex with women who are drunk, who are under the influence, who may not be able to wholeheartedly consent, if you see a friend harassing or catcalling at women and you see this behavior happening you know it's not appropriate you know it is potentially harming women and you are not doing anything not only are you not doing anything but you don't care you are wholeheartedly part of the problem and quite honestly i'd be surprised if you yourself haven't sexually assaulted anyone and quite frankly if you are seeing stuff like this happening and if you know that men in your circle are potentially sexually assaulting or violating a woman's bodily autonomy then quite frankly, you're probably not listening to this podcast. Um, 
So with that being said, that makes me much more comfortable saying that you are a POS. Um, you are not a friend of women. You are not an ally of women. And I sincerely hope that you have a very abrupt and very dramatic character change because, honey, this, this is not it. Okay, lastly, men who see stuff like this happening, who acknowledge that it's real, who acknowledge that it's a problem, and who can see it in, the, in their friends' actions, who can see it in the actions of others, who can see it in the words of others, but don't know what to do. This last one is for you. Doing something is better than doing nothing. It doesn't even have to be that big of a deal. You know, people might not want to say some, anything because it's embarrassing or because they think they'll be made fun of. Trust me, if you are noticing it, other people are noticing it and other people probably feel the same way you do. I'm going to say this. I haven't said it yet, but I'm going to say this right now. Not all men are bad. Not all men are dangerous. Not all men are rapists. Not all men are enemies of women. Not all women should be scared of every single man. I'm not scared of every single man in my life. I don't see every single man in my life as a threat or as someone who I ever think would lay their hands on a woman when she doesn't want it. But if you are in a room and there's one guy who's making rape jokes and there's one guy who's laughing at them and there's one guy who's talking about having sex with drunk women or making jokes about touching women without their consent or harassing women or who's catcalling women and you have nine other guys standing around him not saying anything, then all 10 of you, if a woman walks into that room, all 10 of you will be seen as a threat. All 10 of you will be seen as someone that she needs to stay away from. It's the same. I've used the same analogy when talking about police officers. If you have one police officer in an entire precinct who is abusing his power, who is murdering people, who is assaulting people, who is sexually assaulting women, who is just not being a good police officer, but you have a hundred other officers who know that officer is perpetuating misconduct and committing misconduct and they're not doing anything about it, then you have 101 bad police officers. The same precedent is being set for men. If you even have one of your friends sitting in a room who you know is perpetuating this behavior, who you know are making jokes that he should not be making, who you know is saying slurs and saying things and is just truly not an ally of women, and you're not doing anything about it, then I'm sorry to say, but you're not an ally of women either. So even just saying something, like even just saying, hey man, like that's not appropriate. Hey man, like we don't do that here. How about you don't say something like that? How about we talk about something else? Hey, you need to apologize to her. That wasn't cool. Or even just going up to the woman afterwards and saying, hey, I'm really sorry about that. Pulling him aside after he catcalls a woman or slaps a woman on the ass or makes unwanted advances towards a woman and saying, hey, you need to apologize to her. That's not cool. She probably feels really unsafe right now. Or even just, you know, that that's also a great thing is being like, you know, you're making women feel unsafe. You're making them feel unhappy in these situations. You're making them scared of you to turn it around on him and say, you are not being a good person right now. And to all the men who are listening right now, who know exactly the type of friend that's doing that stuff, who knows exactly the type of friend that they need to have these conversations with, and your thought process is, well, I don't want to lose a friend. Well, I don't want to be seen as a pansy or a pussy. Well, I don't want to be seen as annoying or be made fun of or be bullied. You shouldn't be friends with that guy anyways. If you genuinely are worried that you're going to pull this guy aside and tell him that his behavior is predatory and assaultive and his response is going to be anything other than, oh my god, I am so sorry, I, I need to be better, you don't want that person in your life anyways. But 
I think there's something to be said for trying your hardest to help this person see the light and see the error of his ways and seeing the toxicity perpetuated within his actions. I think that there needs to be a bunch of effort on that end in order to see what this person is doing that's toxic in order to help them see the, like I said, the error of their ways. Because if, if you don't do that and if you don't try your hardest to bring this person out of this toxic masculinity that they have, that they're exerting over women, they're just going to keep doing it. And if anything, they're it's going to get worse. And what starts with making rape jokes, what starts with making jokes that aren't really funny, what starts with grabbing women's asses at clubs or catcalling women on the streets, too many times it ends with a story like Sarah's. Too many times it ends with women being brutalized and violated and having their lives and their safety taken away from them because men have never in their lives been told no. <sighs> so men do better. Women, I am so sorry that we have to deal with this. I'm sorry that I have to deal with it. I'm sorry that you have to deal with it. I'm sorry that your mom and your sister and your classmates and your teammates, I'm sorry that every other woman in your life has had to deal with it. I'm sorry that we all have stories and that we all have traumas and that we all have things that are really painful for us to think about just buried deep inside of us. And rest assure you, as you could probably infer by this episode, me being catcalled at a pizza place is not the only time I've been subjected to harassment or to violence perpetuated by men. And it most certainly will not be the last, but it will be the last time that something like that's going to happen and I'm not going to talk about it. And I'm not going to try and use my position and use what little power I have as a black woman in society to make other women feel safe, to help other women recognize that they don't deserve to feel like this and they don't deserve to be subjected to this treatment. Wow, I've been talking forever. Oh my God, I did not mean for this section to be this long. I'm so sorry, guys. I still have a bunch of other stuff I want to talk about this week. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... I'm going to cut that segment short. I'm going to end talking about this right now, obviously, even though there's a bunch of other stuff that I want to talk about. I'm sure it'll come up again, unfortunately. I'm sure I'll end up talking about this again. But with this episode and with all that being said, I think this is where I want to end this segment, at least for right now. All right, for all of you guys who skipped over that last segment, didn't want to listen to the content of that last segment, Completely understandable. It was difficult for me to talk about. It probably would have been difficult for you to listen, but welcome back. Thank you for still listening to this week's episode. Thank you for still participating in this week's episode. I appreciate it a lot. And the next thing I want to talk about is actually the fact that my parents are vaccinated. And this is actually what the title of this week's episode is paying homage to. A vaccination special is entirely encompassing around the fact that my parents are now both entirely vaccinated. They are both completely protected against the COVID-19 virus. And I just want to talk a little bit about that. I wanted to give some info, give some insight, talk about what they dealt with in terms of what happened after they got vaccinated. And luckily for me, I actually sat next to my mom while she got her second dose. I drove her there and then I drove her home. And I just, I do want to talk about the closer insight that I have into the vaccination process, into what it's like to actually get the vaccine. Obviously, there's a lot of apprehension about this vaccine right now. There's a lot of people who have come out and said that they're not going to get vaccinated, especially from my community, especially from the Black community, which I think that is somewhat warranted. Black people have been subjected to mistreatment within the medical field for 
the entire existence of this country, we have been seen as subhuman, we have been seen as lab rats. And so while I completely think that the suspicion and the apprehension around getting this vaccine, especially for people of color, especially for black people in our country, I definitely understand it. And I definitely think it's warranted. But I hope that me coming on here and talking about my own personal experience, my parents' own personal experience with the vaccine, will help you to be much less apprehensive, will help you to be much less concerned about the safety that is currently surrounding this vaccine. As I'm sure you guys are fully aware, there have been three different vaccines that have been produced by three different companies. There is the Pfizer version, the Moderna version, and the Johnson & Johnson version all of which have been approved by the FDA for emergency use, all of which have been patented by those companies. And for context, my parents got the Moderna vaccine. And I want to make that clarification for one of two reasons. One, I would like to just make the point that all of the vaccines, though they are all vaccines that will protect you against COVID-19, they are all mildly different. For example, you might get slightly different symptoms, slightly different side effects after getting one vaccine versus another. And so I wanted to make that clarification just so you guys know which of the three different vaccines my parents received. And I also wanted to make that clarification because not all of the vaccines are the same amount of shots. Not all of the vaccines require the same amount of protocol. The Johnson & Johnson version, as you guys know, is a single shot dose. Meanwhile, the Pfizer and Moderna versions are both double shot doses, which means you need to get one shot, wait four weeks, and then go back and get your second shot in order to be completely inoculated against the virus at question. In this case, it is COVID-19. But at this point in time, both of my parents are completely vaccinated against COVID-19, which means they have not only gotten both of their required shots, but that also means that it has been more than two weeks after their final shots, which means at this point they are completely inoculated against the virus, they have developed antibodies and everything else. Which, by the way, now that I have a chance to mention it, that is the recommended guidelines to follow once you are vaccinated, whether it is the Johnson & Johnson single dose or whether it's the Moderna and Pfizer double doses. It is recommended that you wait two weeks until after you're vaccinated so that your body does have time to develop those antibodies and develop some sort of defense mechanism against the coronavirus because, you know, that's how vaccinations work. So, aka, if you want to get vaccinated and then just immediately go back to living some sense of a quote-unquote normal life and take your mask off, stop wearing your mask, start going out and partying again and going out in public, don't do that <laughs> because you're not actually fully protected yet. You have to wait that two-week window before you are seen as being completely vaccinated, quote-unquote. The first dose that my parents got they both were a little bit feverish. They both felt a little bit sick. They were, you know, laying down on the couch and not really moving for about maybe a half a day to a day. And then they felt kind of fine after that. The second dose, however, was a little bit more taxing on their bodies. The, both of them said that they hurt a little bit more going in, that it hurt a little bit more to get that second dose anyways when they got the shot. And after the fact, the second dose definitely, like I said, took a little bit more of a toll on them. Health-wise, both my parents were in bed for a full day after they got vaccinated. It was like, they said it was like having a really bad flu. It was like being really, really sick. Like they had headaches, they were congested, they just didn't feel good. They had chills and malaise. But like I said, only lasted about a day to 36 hours. They were back up and running about 
a day and a half after they got their second doses, it really wasn't that bad. Granted, it probably it wasn't enjoyable for them, but when it comes to the payoff, you know, dying at the hands of COVID or being fully incapacitated for the rest of your life because you were infected with COVID or laying in bed for the day after you are vaccinated and completely protected against the virus because it's your civic duty and it's what you have to do in order to do your part in mitigating the spread of this pandemic. Like the payoff, I think, to me at least, is very worth it. It's very, very like nonsensical to me that like this is a sacrifice that we should make. But I just wanted to fill in some blanks. Obviously, that might not be the story for everyone. You might not get sick at all. You might not feel like that at all. Or you might feel like that for three or four days. Who knows? But but I wanted to share my own personal experience just to fill in the blanks for people who are apprehensive or concerned at all. And like I said, I also watched my mom get her second dose. It was really just like watching any other shot go into any other person's arm. It really wasn't that different in terms of the actual shot itself. She didn't pass out. She didn't faint. She wasn't in any other pain. She didn't get lightheaded or anything. Then again, shots aren't really something that bothers my mom anyways. Um, so I didn't expect that from her point blank period. If shots are something that bothers you though, don't be surprised if you do happen to faint or pass out, especially if you faint or pass out when you get blood drawn or get other shots or don't feel good when you get other shots. This vaccine will probably make you feel a little bit crummy afterwards. Even as I, as I was driving home with my mom, she was telling me that she didn't feel great. She didn't feel like she was going to pass out or faint or anything or collapse or anything like that. But she did say, you know, she felt a little headachy. She felt a little achy all over her body and in her arm. And it wasn't like just getting a regular flu shot where like your arm may ache for a couple of days afterwards. Like it's much more bodily involved, if that makes sense. Like the rest of your body is definitely going to feel it a little bit more. You're definitely going to feel it a little bit more in general because this is, in layman's terms, it's a quote unquote much more heavy duty vaccination because we are currently in the midst of a pandemic, because we had to develop it so fast, because it is a different type of vaccination in terms of how it works and how it was manufactured and made. So it would definitely make sense that it would be more invasive in terms of your symptoms and your side effects after the fact. So with all of that being said, I hope that that helped ease some of your anxieties maybe surrounding the COVID vaccine, or if you didn't have any anxieties and you knew you're going to get vaccinated anyways, hopefully in general, this will just make you feel a little bit more easy about the vaccination process. Like I said, everyone's different. It might, it might hit you differently. You might handle it differently. You might feel a little differently about shots and vaccinations in general and needles in general. But overall, it's not, you, you're not going to die from this vaccine. You're not going to turn into a zombie or be embedded with a microchip. Like all of these crazy conspiracies are, say, are saying, it is just a vaccination. It is one that might make you sick for a couple of days afterwards. It's, my, it's one that might give you a headache or make your body ache or make you weak for a couple of days afterwards. But you are going to be fine after the fact. And with all of that being said, before I move on from this segment, I do just want to drive the point home again that you are not fully vaccinated until two weeks after your final dose. And we are still in a pandemic, even if you are vaccinated, that does not permit you, or at least the evidence isn't fully there yet as to whether we know, but that might not fully permit you from transferring the virus to someone else who may not be vaccinated. That might not fully permit you from getting sick if you are in a place that would be very heavily incorporated in viral loading by any means. So please continue to wear masks when you're out in public. Continue to do your part and socially distance when you're out in public. Don't unnecessarily go out if you don't have to. 
CDC has come out and said that fully vaccinated people can gather in small groups indoors at this point, but that is only if all of the other people involved are either children and can't be vaccinated or if they are also fully vaccinated as well. And there's still some toss up about whether or not children can, you know, be around fully vaccinated people. So if grandparents are fully vaccinated, can their children come around who haven't necessarily been exposed but haven't been vaccinated yet? There's still a lot of questions to be answered. So all in all, just keep doing your part. Keep doing your part in mitigating not only your risk, but everyone else's risk around you of getting this virus and contracting this virus and getting sick at the hands of this virus. Do your part in social distancing, still wear a mask, still restrict how much you are going out and how many people you are interacting with on a daily basis. I understand we are getting anxious, we are getting impatient, we are, you know, chomping at the bit to get back to some sense of normalcy. I understand that we've been inside now for almost, for over a full calendar year, but that still does not change the fact that we still have responsibilities. We still have things that we need to do to keep ourselves safe, to keep our family safe, to keep our community safe. And I think it would be really ignorant of us to abandon all of that now just because a few of us happen to be vaccinated. All right, I digress into my last big segment of this week's episode. A couple weeks ago, I was having a conversation with my best friend and we were just overall, we were talking about another person, but overall we were talking about how... There doesn't seem to be a balance in terms of us as individuals recognizing our own socioeconomic positions within society and how we can utilize them in order to be better allies for people who may struggle at the hands of our, our inherent privileges. I understand that might have just sounded like a lot of jargon and jumble, but I promise I'm going to explain it better. So pretty much, I personally feel like there are two very contra contradicting and two very toxic messages circulating on social media to the greater public, or especially at least my generation, Gen Z, and or millennials, since I'm like kind of like right on that cusp, I think. But the messages either come in one of two fashions. Either I feel like we coddle people and we tell people that, oh, they have it so bad and, you know, society has to pander to them and, you know, they struggle so much. Nobody has any idea. And I feel like this 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 notion especially translates to white women specifically because we were talking about specifically white women's places in society and how they really have no concept of how worse other people subscribing to other ma marginalized groups have it. But specifically, like I was saying, when it comes to white women, we tell them that, oh, you have it so bad, society is, you know, an enemy to you, nobody has it worse than you do, like, we, we play the damsel in distress card when it comes to specifically white women. And I feel like that is very contradictory from the opposite notion of that and the opposite message that is perpetuated throughout society, especially on social media, which is more a message of, well, it could be worse. Someone else has it worse. Someone else is in a worse socioeconomic position than you are. Someone else is suffering more than you. Someone else is poorer or has less access to stuff or has a worse life or this, that, the other thing. Like, And I feel like that message especially comes out against Black women or Black people in general is like, oh, it could be so much worse. You have no idea. Slavery was 400 years ago. Racism isn't that big of a deal. Racism isn't a problem. And I feel like both of these messages, the message of, oh, we're going to coddle you and pander to you and baby you, life is so difficult, I feel so bad. And the contradicting message of, you know what, get over it, it's not that bad, you don't suffer that much, if someone has it worse, who cares? Both of those messages are very, very different, obviously, but they're also very, very toxic in their own ways. And 
I feel like one of the things that America is not good at is finding a middle ground. There is a happy medium to everything. There is a balance to everything. I think there's an equilibrium to every single social and political issue we have in this country that would benefit everyone and solve problems for everyone. But as Americans, we are very, very bad at finding those equilibriums. We are very, very bad at finding a middle ground to some of the issues that we have. And this is one of them, telling people of marginalized groups that belong to groups in society that deal with oppression, that deal with prejudice and bigotry on a daily basis, we have no ability to find a middle ground with them. We have no ability to try and say to someone like, yes, you have it hard, but you could also have it worse. And this is why you need to utilize the little power you have to fight for someone else. And we, we don't really have it in us to tell people that. We don't really have it in us to find that middle ground and make the issues that other people face, the socioeconomic issues that certain groups face, whereas certain groups don't. We seem to not have the power to understand that we all bring different dichotomies to the table. We all bring differences in ourselves and in our socioeconomic statuses to the table. And as a young 18-year-old Black woman, I feel like I come from a situation where I can understand that better than anyone. I am a young black woman in America. I have a seat at the table depending on what the table is decorated with. I have a seat at the table depending on who is already seated at the table. I have a seat at the table depending on how many seats there are available. And I'm able to recognize this. I'm able to recognize that my life in America, my life navigating this world in general will not be easy. It will be hard. It will be arduous. It will be obnoxious. It will be, I will be hit with oppression and prejudice and bigotry and racism and sexism. I understand that I will not have an easy time navigating in this world. And it's not, and don't get me wrong, it's definitely not something I'm proud of. It's not something I want to have or desire to have or that I'm proud of having. That's another thing that I feel like is really toxic, at least on social media nowadays. It's like every single thing is like the sad story Olympics. It's like everyone is playing a game of who wants to be oppressed more, who has the worst oppression. And I, I hate that shit. I hate how we live in a society where people just want to one-up people on the oppression that they deal with. When in reality, nobody wants seems to want to sit back and realize that they have privileges in certain areas that other people don't and vice versa. So like I was saying, as a black woman in America, I can recognize it'll never be easy for me. It'll ne I'll never have the cakewalk through society that I would have if I was a white woman or if I was a black man or if I was a white man. But I am straight. I am cisgender. I identify with the gender I was given at birth. And that already makes it much more likely that I am going to be able to obtain jobs and keep jobs and find viable partners that already makes it way less likely that I will be subjected to sexual assault or harassment or have my rights or my life violated or potentially put at risk. That already makes my experience in this world and in this country much easier because I don't have those two things weighing on me. And because of that, and because I'm able to recognize that, I am going to fight tooth and nail for my LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters, for my lesbian, my gay, my bisexual, my transgender, my queer, my non-binary, everyone else who doesn't have the luxury of being straight and cisgender in this world. I'm going to fight for them because I see the weight that I have on my shoulders as a black woman. I don't want that for anyone else. Even if it doesn't come in the form of racism, 
and it instead comes in the form of homophobia or misogyny or transphobia or Islamophobia, I'm going to fight for someone else who deals with things that I have no idea and I don't subscribe to and marginalized groups that I do not fit into. Because I know what it's like to already be subjected to oppression, I'm going to go out of my way to make sure that nobody else has to deal with that. Instead of just sitting down and crying to the internet and crying into a Twitter keyboard about what I have to deal with and how much worse it is than everyone else's problems, I'm going to take a look at what I have to deal with and how much I hate it, how much I resent being treated the way I am in this country, and I'm going to take a look at that and turn around and look at everyone else who deals with things that I will never have the perspective of being able to know what it's like to deal with them. I'm going to look at people who are Muslim. I'm going to look at people who are Asian American during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm going to look at people who are a part of the LGBTQ plus community. I'm going to look at people who are sitting below the poverty line. I'm going to look at people who are immigrants, who are refugees, and I'm going to sympathize with them. I'm going to use my position in society as a black woman, as someone who understands what it's like to walk around with the weight of oppression on her shoulders. And I'm going to use that to be sympathetic towards other people who deal with things that I will have no idea on what it's like to deal with them. And this is the conversation that I was having with my best friend. I was like, I feel like a lot of people aren't, will aren't willing or able to do that. And not only are people unwilling and able to do that, but we also live in a society where we tell people that they can't or that they shouldn't. Like I said, we tell people, we either tell people that like, oh, it should be so much worse, suck it up, get over your issues, they're not that bad. Or we tell people that it's okay to wallow in their issues and it's okay to wallow in the fact that they deal with certain things that other people may not or they get to wallow in the fact that they deal with sexism or racism or Islamophobia or homophobia or transphobia despite the fact that someone else in the world is dealing with something else that you, you have no concept of what it's like to deal with it. And we just kept on talking about the fact that, like, if we have any hope, not just as individuals, of achieving equality and of achieving justice in our country, but if we have hope as entire groups of achieving e equality and justice, we need to harbor this mindset. We need to... We need to look inside of ourselves and take the necessary steps as individuals in order to breaking down the barriers that exist within these socioeconomic groups, even though, let's face it, we're really not that different. Hatred is hatred. Ignorance is ignorance. Whether it breeds and manifests as sexism or racism or Islamophobia or homophobia, whether it manifests as sexual assault or a hate crime or pushing an Asian American on the sidewalk or walking by and mumbling a slur underneath your breath to someone who you know can hear you, whatever the case may be, we as individuals have dealt with things that we don't think anyone else in the world can understand, but I think if we took the time to try and understand what other people truly deal with, we'll come to realize as individuals and as groups, like I said, that we are a lot more similar than we think. And we need to kind of see through the BS that social media and what other people are feeding us because it, it is toxic and all it's doing is driving a wedge between us and making us think that, oh, this person could never understand what I'm dealing with. It's, it's really annoying to see people from marginalized groups drive these wedges between us because our oppressors are already driving these wedges between us without our help. And now that they're able to utilize our own hatred for each other and utilize our own discontent with one another against us, like it just it seems so it seems so counterproductive that we're giving more power to the people who are oppressing us that we're giving more power to the people who put us in these socioeconomic standings in the first place 
So yeah, I really don't know if that made any sense. It was kind of just something quick I wanted to talk about that you can recognize how shitty your position in society is. You can recognize your own poverty. You can recognize your own race, your own religion, your own sexuality, your own gender identity. You can recognize all of that and recognize how you suffer at the hands of it. But I also think we have to take that awareness and recognize what other people are struggling at the hands of those different oppressive tendencies as well. Not to diminish what you deal with, not to undermine what you deal with, but to make it easier for us and to make us more adept at helping others. Because when we're divided, it is so much easier to keep us that way and it is so much easier to exert force over us. And especially with all of the unions happening right now, with all of the teacher unions forming, all of the Amazon workers that are unionizing right now, that is something I've really come to grips with and I've really come to notice recently in the pandemic is, like I said, a single person begs, a group of people bargain. There is power in numbers. There is power of finding other people like you, finding other people who want the same things you want and saying, let's, let's take this establishment and let's demand what we want. Whether you are Muslim, whether you're an immigrant, whether you're a refugee, whether you are black, white, Asian, Latino, or whether you are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, straight, non-binary, or somewhere in between, we all want the same thing, or at least we should. We all want equality. We all want justice for our own groups of people. We all want to feel safe and appreciated and understood in the societies and the spaces that we exist in. And that's not too much of us to ask. Don't ever listen to the government when they tell you that that is too much to ask because it is not. However, I think the asking for too much part doesn't necessarily come from what we're asking, but it comes from how we're asking and who we're asking. When you are one person asking for equality, asking for the world, that is too much. And that's too much for you to carry. That's too much of a burden for you to bear. And you're just point blank period. It may sound harsh and it may sound pessimistic, but you're not going to get anything done that way. If we truly want to see change, if we truly want to not only break down the barriers within our own groups, but break down the barriers within our society in general, we have to see the forest through the trees and understand that we all are fighting kind of the same fight. And by acting like, oh, I'm better than you because I don't deal with that, or I'm worse than you and I deserve more love and equality and attention because of what I deal with that you don't understand. When we put these needless barriers between us, we are just inhibiting our own growth and our own progression in our own society. It is so counterproductive. And if we have any hope of exhausting these ways of thinking, we have to look into ourselves and see how we're perpetuating them as individuals. All right, hopefully that made sense. If it didn't, then I wholeheartedly apologize because you probably just wasted 20 minutes of your time listening to me incessantly talk. But we are now nearing the close of this week's episode. I know it has been forever. It has been a really long episode. This is the longest I've ever recorded for an episode before, and I really apologize. But before I wrap up this week's episode, there is just one more thing I want to say, one more thing I want to talk about. That being, I am going to add a little a little weekly thing to each of my episodes. I'm going to add something that I'm going to make a weekly tradition on this podcast. For those of you who, one, have Spotify, and two, are also avid podcast listeners like myself, you might have heard of a podcast, a daily podcast, that is called the Get Up Morning Show. I think that's like what it's officially called, but on Spotify, it's a Spotify original podcast, I believe. I don't think it's out on Apple. And the best way I can describe it is it's like the best personal playlist ever. It is 
every single morning at 7 a.m., every single weekday at 7 a.m., I should say instead, within a personalized playlist that Spotify makes for you. There are podcast episodes that are released from a specific podcast that Spotify curated. It has three hosts. They're really funny, really intelligent, really well-cultured, and usually the podcast centers around news. There's daily news headlines. There are often also talks about the current social and political issues going on in our world or just current events in general. So for example, they talked a lot about like the Super Bowl and the weekend's halftime show and the Super Bowl past. And recently they also talked about the Grammys and what happened at the Grammys and the Grammy performances and who won what, who was snubbed, just like stuff like that. Like I said, the hosts are really, really fun. Honestly, it's one of the favorite parts of my day or at least my weekday. I definitely wholeheartedly recommend going to check it out if you have Spotify. But I mentioned this not to put y'all on, even though I totally mean to, but I mentioned this because a part of what they do in their show is every Wednesday, they have an episode titled In the Rotation. And this pretty much is a time for the three hosts to sit down and share with each other things that they have picked up in the last week, shows that they've watched, media that they've enjoyed, books that they've read, and other things that they've enjoyed in the last week or they enjoy in their lives that are currently in their rotation for things that they incorporate into their lives. And I want to add something like that to this podcast. At the end of every single podcast episode, I just want to come on and I want to tell you guys stuff that's well in my rotation. Whether it is, like I said, TV shows, other podcasts, books that I'm reading, documentaries that I'm watching music or artists that I'm listening to, magazine articles that I've read, whatever the case may be, I'm going to come on at the end of my episodes every single week and share something with you guys. I feel like it would be such an easy and good way to not only give you guys more things that you can enjoy, but it would also be such an easy and good way to help you guys know me as a person more, get to know me and the type of things that I like, the type of music that I listen to, what books I read, what stuff I do in my free time. But this week, the first time that I'm doing it in an episode, I wanted to put you guys onto a limited edition series podcast that I just recently listened to. And it was, it was very interesting. It was very sad. It tugged at my heartstrings a little bit, but it was, it wasn't necessarily sad in terms of anguish, but it was sad in terms of it was hard hitting. It hit close to home. But the podcast in question is called Scattered and it is created, distributed, recorded, I don't know the right word for it, but it is curated by WNYC Studios, which I don't know if I mentioned it before, I might have when I gave you guys some of my podcast recommendations, but they also have another podcast that I really enjoy, which is called Two Dope Queens, which is hosted by Jessica Williams and Phoebe Robinson, which again, such a good and funny podcast, I definitely recommend checking it out. But anyways, getting off track again, Scattered is the story of Chris Garcia's father. Chris Garcia, as I'm sure you could infer, is a Latino man. He is a comedian and has actually performed through WNYC Studios, I believe on an episode of Two Dope Queens, if I'm not mistaken. But Chris's dad is actually deceased, and his dying wish was that his family goes back and scatters his ashes off the coast of Cuba, which was where Chris's mom and dad met and where they emigrated to the United States from, because they were dealing with a lot of the more harsh realities of the Castro regime at the time. And because of this, Chris's mother has vowed to never go back to Cuba again. 
So the podcast itself kind of travels back and forth between the present of Chris trying to find a way to get to Cuba and scatter his father's ashes and pay homage to his last single dying wish, while also traveling back to his childhood and traveling back to when his father was still alive and the memories that he has of him, while also learning more about his father and more about the life that he lived and the experiences that he had to live through while he was in Cuba, but also when he moved and immigrated to America. I'm not going to give any more away because it truly is amazing and I wholeheartedly think you guys should check it out. It just, I think it gives such a unique insight into Latino family values. I think it gives such a unique insight into, into not only what immigrants deal with, but specifically what immigrants from the Caribbean and South Central America deal with. And not only that, but his father, close towards the end of his life, developed really bad Alzheimer's. And he also talks a lot about the mental deterioration that a lot of people, a lot of children have to deal with when their parents are, you know, getting older. And there are just, there's so many funny, heartwarming, heart-melting moments that Chris shares with the audience through his podcast, through this piece of work. It truly is something that I think will resonate with even someone who thinks that this will not affect them. There's some aspect of this that is for everyone, whether it's the mental deterioration that results in Alzheimer's, whether it is being a person of color in America, whether it's being an immigrant in America, whatever the case may be, there's something in this podcast that will resonate with you. There's something in this podcast that will tug at your heartstrings and make you want to cry while also making you want to smile and laugh. There's something just so beautiful about it. Genuinely one of the most beautiful podcasts I've ever listened to. One of the most beautiful stories I've ever listened to. I wholeheartedly recommend you check it out. And yeah, that was what was in my rotation this week. This is probably where most of you are going to clock out, in which case I don't blame you, but if you decide to stay, you get to hear the following message. If you enjoyed this week's podcast episode and every other podcast episode before now, please, please, please feel free to share this podcast with someone else who you think would enjoy it. Also, help me help you listen to more content from me by leaving a rating and review on this podcast. It helps me a lot and make sure that more people like you are able to listen to JTalks. If you seek more content curated at my own hands, feel free to follow me on all of my social media platforms. All of my handles are just at Jalen Tully. All right, I think I have nothing more to say, except for quite possibly the most important part of each episode. Be sure to leave this episode along with every episode that you listen to after, ready to go out into the world and educate often, learn freely, and always love equally. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, guys, and I'll talk to you next week.